Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now here's a theme tune you might recognize. This month, Disney is a hundred years old. And to mark the anniversary, they've raided their vaults and are opening a huge exhibition here in London later this week. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. The history of Disney is a chronicle of huge hits. From classics like Snow White, Bambi and Beauty and the Beast... To Toy Story 1, 2, 3, and 4. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. But despite their successes, the future may not be so secure. A series of lacklustre releases recently have led people to question whether Disney is losing its magic. We've had this writer's strike that's been going on since May 2nd here, and a lot of projects have gotten delayed by that. Then there's all this larger cutbacks. You know, Bob Iger came back to Disney in November with the mission of sort of improving profits. As part of that, he's been cutting costs and, and has been trimming the uh, film and TV spending. It's not the first time the company's been in trouble. We'll delve into the secret history of Disney, looking at some of its past controversies and its recent forays into politics. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the dark side of Disney. So I'm Ed Potton. I'm an arts commissioning editor at The Times. I write about film and music and TV. And I was lucky enough to go to Munich for this 100 Years of Disney exhibition. Now, that's not a bad gig. Just describe what this exhibition is like, because it's coming to London soon, so we'll all have the chance to go and see it. But tell us what it's like when you walk in. 
So the first thing you see is Walt Disney himself, which was a very deliberate wow. play on their part. I, I spoke to one of the curators and she said, so many kids particularly don't realise that Walt Disney was actually a real person. He's almost like oh, Father yeah. Christmas. Yeah. So they have a hologram of Walt addressing you, welcoming you to the show, which was assembled from existing footage with the artificial intelligence genius of Lucasfilm, the people behind Star Wars, who of course are now owned by Disney. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past. And here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. So you've got hundreds of exhibits there. They made a real effort to mix things up. Originally, they were going to do it chronologically, but then they realised that if you had lots of kids coming in, which there will be, they would be a little bit alienated maybe if all you got was the sort of Steamboat Willie stuff at the beginning. So you're hit straight early on by people like Olaf from Frozen. They're really mixing up the genres and mixing up the decades. So it's very well done in that regard. I really liked the exhibits, which gave you an idea of the global flavour of Disney. You can see various singers singing Let It Go in different languages. You've got Thai, you've got Flemish, French-Canadian, which is wonderful. There was another great little exhibit which showed you how the sound effects were done. For example, a leather wallet was used in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to give the sound of dwarves um, creeping down some stairs, uh, which I loved. I mean, it sounds like a great opportunity to really get behind the scenes and understand how the films that you've watched over the years came about. For you, was that quite special? I mean, are you a big fan of Disney? I'm a fan of bits of it, absolutely. Yeah, I grew up on Jungle Book, obviously, um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and particularly Star Wars, which obviously at that point wasn't a Disney thing, but certainly is now. But yeah, yeah, Star Wars was very much my generation. So, But yeah, obviously there's lots of other great stuff within the Disney empire that I've loved. As a parent, there's many a time when a Pixar film has helped me out of a childcare hole. Um, <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to admit to that. No, you're not. But um, they absolutely do. And, you know, they've, they've nailed that, that market of, of, of making films that appeal to parents and children almost equally. Just give us a sense of what the modern Disney empire looks like. How big is it? Well, they are basically the mightiest entertainment beasts on the planet. They're worth an estimated 125 billion pounds. That's pounds, not dollars. Wow. They now own Pixar, they own Marvel, they own Lucasfilm, the people behind Star Wars. Uh, they own 12 theme parks across the world. They also have Disney Plus, the streaming service, which has around 150 million subscribers. So they've certainly diversified their, their brand in the last uh, decade or two. Uh, huge. It's kind of terrifying. And Ed, even before that expansion, they were an enormous company. Just talk us through some of the most famous films that they've created over the years. So they presided over what's generally seen as the golden age of animation, 1934 to 1941. I think if you ask most people, what does Disney mean for you? They would say Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. They'd say Sleeping Beauty. They'd say Bambi. That's the core of their offering. Have they always been quite so successful with their films, though? They've had ups and downs. There was certainly a fallow period uh, until they, they really rejuvenated themselves in the 90s with films like Beauty and the Beast uh, mm. and The Lion King. And more recently, 
in the last year or two? How have they done? So, I mean, Pixar has been incredibly successful, partially for those reasons I mentioned earlier about the fact that, you know, it's parents and kids kind of being drawn in together. But the the mainstream Disney animation sector has also done incredibly well. Um, and Frozen is a good example of that. And that's certainly an example of them slightly changing their style in terms of characterization. This is a film kind of built around female characters who weren't defined by male characters, which hadn't really happened nice before. Change. Yeah, I mean, obviously Disney are known for their princesses, but they weren't doing too much of, of the actual adventuring. So it was good to have characters characters like we had with Elsa and Anna and which hadn't really happened before in a film as big as that. And have they been doing as well in the last year or so? A lot of films from the last couple of years haven't been doing particularly well. Everything from Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which which really mm. underperformed. Opening weekend, not so amazing. $60 million opening weekend. But let's uh, give you a little bit of an idea of the critics' consensus. It's not as thrilling as earlier adventures, but the nostalgic rush of seeing Harrison Ford back in action helps Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny find a final few bits of cinematic treasure. So you've got films like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which, if not a flop, was certainly a disappointment. Um, The Little Mermaid fell short of expectations too. And some of the films coming up have been beset with a few worries. Uh, We've got the remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, starring Rachel Zegler from another remake of West Side Story. And that's created some controversy. Some people are seeing it as an overly woke reinterpretation of of a familiar story. In an interview, Rachel Ziegler saying the original cartoon came out in 1937, and very evidently so. There is a big focus on her love story with a guy literally stalking her. How weird. Well, we have a different approach to what a lot of people will assume is a love story because we cast a guy in the movie, but it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. Well, there has been inevitable backlash online, fans accusing Disney of inserting unnecessary feminism into classic fairy tales. But certainly, by their very high standards, there hasn't been a huge number of really big hits as far as Disney films. So you've suddenly got Disney as it approaches its 100th anniversary. The empire is bigger than ever, but possibly slightly losing its mojo? Yeah, and I think uh, there are several reasons for that. I think a big one is I'm not sure they've stewarded their intellectual property very well. Ah. Um, For example, with Star Wars, I remember the thing with Star Wars was the mystique surrounding it. When I was a kid, you would get a new Star Wars film every three years and the anticipation you would have for that film would be colossal. By nine at night, the line encompassed several dozen people. The all-night vigil ends Wednesday morning at 11 when these people finally get to buy tickets to the first showing of The Empire Strikes Back. Do you think this is going to be as big as Star Wars? Bigger! 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 Bigger. And yet a lot of the critics are panning it. Well, what do they know? And you would live and breathe it for for months and you'd buy all the figures and you'd go and see it once or twice or three times. And that's completely gone, I have to say, with Star Wars. I think they really have flogged that horse a little bit too hard. Uh, You've got all of these endless sequels and... TV spin-offs, and a lot of them are pretty poor. Um, the same with Marvel. In the 11 years from Iron Man in 2008 to, to Avengers Endgame in 2019, Marvel told an incredible story that went on for more than 20 films, and that's yeah. never really been done before. And I think it was inevitable that once you reach the end of that cycle with Avengers Endgame, it, it was going to be quite hard to top that, and I think they found that with their subsequent films. 
It's been a long journey for Disney, though. I mean, this is its 100th year. It's gone through periods of huge, booming success and, as you said, fallow periods before. I mean, take us right back to the start. Take us back to where Disney begins. I mean, I was really intrigued that you said people at the exhibition thought kids now didn't know Walt Disney was a real character. I think one of the reasons why not a lot of people actually know him as a, as a human being is he's, he's been dead for a long time. He died in 1966 at the age of 65. Mm. Really surprising a lot of his employees who, who didn't realise he was ill, he had cancer. So he hasn't actually been a part of the company for a long time, even though this is a company that's built in his image, his signature is the Disney signature, his name is part of all the theme parks. He was born in Chicago, family moved to Missouri, and he grew up on a farm, quite poor. Typical kind of American rural outlook for that first part of the 20th century. He was a talented artist, started selling sketches to neighbors at the age of seven, had what he called a dreaming tree on their land where he would go and do sketches and and think of stories. So he, he went off to tried to fight in the First World War, uh, ended up driving an ambulance, but didn't quite make it to serve during wartime, arrived just after the armistice. Then went back to the States and set up Disney Brothers Studio with his brother Roy in 1923. Their first successful character was called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, but they ended up selling the rights to Oswald, and I think Disney never really got over that. He was always very zealous in terms of looking after his own property. And that's why Disney has clamped down very hard on people who use their characters and their images in unlicensed ways. There was a story of a nursery, a children's nursery, that had various Disney characters painted on the wall. And and Disney made them paint over the characters because they hadn't been licensed properly. (laughs) So, yeah, they're they're pretty hardcore when it comes to kind of looking after uh, these characters that they've, they've spent decades creating. But it wasn't until Mickey that he really took off. Everyone else in the company liked to say it all started with a mouse. So he claims he came up with the idea on a train from Manhattan to Hollywood, was determined that it was going to be even better than Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, who he'd (laughs) lost the rights to. He said, right, okay, we'll start again. This one's going to be even better. Coming up, how Donald Duck became a Nazi and how Disney is dipping a toe into American politics by taking on a very different Donald. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So he, he has a huge success with Mickey and his animation is really starting to grab attention. This is after the First World War and then just as things are really taking off, the Second World War breaks out. How does he and how does the company cope with that? So he almost immediately pivots the company towards making propaganda films and uh, public information videos. I mean, I've been watching a few of them over the last couple of weeks and they're fairly disturbing. It's interesting that Mickey doesn't really figure in the propaganda films too much. It's generally Donald who is the one who's kind of involved in the uh, more kind of disturbing films, really? shall we say. Mickey did the home front stuff, was inspiring people to be kind of patriotic citizens, whereas Donald was the one who was appearing in films like Der Führer's Face, the Disney staff came up with the idea for a cartoon to be titled Donald Duck in Nazi-land, giving the all-American duck a nightmare that he was living in a country run by Nazis. The title and, and that basically depicted him as a zealous convert to the Nazi cause, doing lots of Heil Hitlers. Um, what? <laughs> Donald Duck became a Nazi? Oh, well, yeah, you, you, I haven't got to the, the twist at the end yet. So, yeah, you've got him kind of doing Heil Hitlers. He's got a swastika alarm clock. He's working on an arms production line for oh the Germans. Oh, my God. Um, and then you realise, this is the twist, at the end, he wakes up and it was all a dream. And actually, he was a good all-American duck all along. Reducing the serious tenets of Hitler's Nazism to slapstick absurdities. And it gave audiences a chance to think, as Donald does, about the freedoms they might have taken for granted. Am I to be a I mean, it became a big deal for, for Disney and it kept them afloat during the war years. It was about 90% of their business was making these propaganda films, making public information films for the people back home. Uh, and he was very canny in the, in the way he did this. He was a patriot too, so I think he was, he was doing it for the right reasons, but it, it, it helped as well that they were making some decent money out of it. And yet there were questions about just how sympathetic they were to the Jews for example. There were claims. Um, there's a little bit of evidence that they may have been anti-Semitic or at least some of their films may have featured anti-Semitic tropes. There was a film in 1929 called The Opry House in which Mickey dresses up and dances like a Hasidic Jew. Their version of Three Little Pigs in 1933 featured the big bad wolf coming to the door dressed as a Jewish peddler and he had a stereotypical Yiddish accent and a oh, large God. nose. That was subsequently changed when the film came out again in 1948. And perhaps most infamously, Disney gave the Nazi filmmaker Lenny Riefenstahl a tour of his studios in 1938. Lenny this... Riefenstahl, who's not only a Nazi filmmaker, but Hitler's girlfriend. Absolutely. This is a point when she was being shunned, rightly, I would argue, yeah. by the rest of Hollywood. But um, Disney uh, gave her a tour of his studio. He claimed he didn't fully know who she was. We can believe that or we can't believe that. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, it was just after the news of Kristallnacht had broken. So it was a very wow. kind of febrile time in terms of German history. 
But I, I hasten to add, none of the people that Disney have worked with ever complained about him having anti-Semitic attitudes or saying anything along those lines. And Richard Sherman, who wrote many of his biggest songs, said that it was completely preposterous to call him anti-Semitic. And as I say, they, they did change a couple of the films, including Three Little Pigs, to downplay these rather offensive Jewish yeah. stereotypes. It's not the first time or the last time that they would go back and change existing material. And obviously, times do move and mm. uh, we do get more progressive. I, I'm sure various things that are acceptable in 2023 won't be in 2043. So that's part of uh, human evolution, I suppose. You know, you're right. They've been going for 100 years. Attitudes do change in that time. But, you know, you do have some alarming signs of, you know, what's been accused of being anti-Semitism in some of the earlier cartoons. Yeah. And also sort of, you know, um, I think they've also been accused of having old-fashioned attitudes towards race. I think you could argue that Song of the South, their film of 1946, is one of the most disturbing. So this was set in the Reconstruction era after the American Civil War. It focused on a black character called Uncle Remus, who worked on a former plantation. So they, they hastened to add that he wasn't a slave. He could have left, but he certainly still had ties to this plantation, um, had a friendship with a little white boy called Johnny, who he was very kind of kind in a kind of quite exaggerated way to. And that featured animated sections. There were lots of black and, and white critics who were saying disturbing things about it at the time. It starred James Baskett as Uncle Remus, this character who some saw as a bit of a kind of an Uncle Tom figure. He was subsequently given a, an honorary Oscar after Walt Disney actually campaigned personally, so that, wow. that, which was a nice thing. But then at the same time, he didn't actually go to the premiere of the film in Atlanta. But had he gone, he wouldn't be able to sit with his white co-workers because there was still racial segregation in Atlanta at that time. That's extraordinary. Which is extraordinary, absolutely. So it's never been released on DVD or video or put on the Disney streaming service. Most people will know the film for its song, Zippity Doodah, which won the Oscar for Best Song. In Lady of the Tramp, we had the stereotyped Asian Siamese cats. Dumbo had the crows who were very much drawing on tropes from black and white minstrels in their music routines. More recently, in the original Aladdin in the 90s, there was a song which referred to the Middle East as a place where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. Again, that was subsequently rewritten and they changed it when the film came out on video. Oh, I come from a land, from a faraway place where the caravan camels roam. Where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. And more recently, they will have a warning at the beginning of the film that this film may contain outdated attitudes or racial stereotypes. And so it's interesting. They're clearly going through their back catalogue, changing things that feel uncomfortable now. Do they ever talk about it? Have they ever addressed any of this? They are certainly willing to admit that they're not perfect and haven't been perfect as an organisation. And I think they need to be given credit for becoming more progressive and, and moving with the times. Uh, that So many of the Disney stories from the last, sort of, say, five years have been completely unlike anything they would have put out before. I mean, you've got films with leading characters of colour, whether that's 
Black Panther or Pixar's Soul or mm. the recent Little Mermaid. You've got gay characters in Star Wars films and in Beauty and the Beast. You've got lots of films built around strong female characters that aren't defined by men, such as Frozen or uh, Turning Red, the Pixar film. So a hundred years on, we can sort of see a lot of their attitudes are changing. They're trying to become more liberal, more modern. Um, The Disney empire itself, though, has also changed. How does it go from being a purely animation-based studio to so much more? It was a matter of this kind of hugely rapacious appetite for growth. And I think once they'd re-established themselves in the 90s with all of these big films like The Lion King and then managed to start buying people like Pixar and, and Lucasfilm, they really did start branching out. They entered the streaming wars. Um, Disney Plus has the obvious advantage of, of giving its users access to all of these back catalogues. So they are constantly looking at ways in which they can expand their business. They've done that by, uh, by acquiring all of these other businesses, um, some of which have cost them a lot of money. I mean, I think they're, they're kind of feeding this beast, really. And I, I think it would be a good idea for them to kind of slow down I mean, I understand why they don't do that, although Bob Iger, their CEO, has even admitted that they are going to pull back on some of the Star Wars and Marvel stuff because he does realise as a company as a whole that they have oversaturated the market with all of these kind of slightly substandard Mm. uh, spin-off series and endless sequels. So I think they need to focus a little bit more on quality over quantity for a bit. Have they been shaping what we're able to see because you know cinemas will automatically stock whatever marvel film comes out and it does feel like it's we just live in an age now of of franchises and it's so much harder to see something original absolutely and you know you speak to a director like martin scorsese who is up in arms at the dominance of superhero movies and thinks it's incredibly depressing the the dominance of the marvel movies and probably to some extent Pixar and and Star Wars as well has changed cinema I think the sort of mid-sized films that we used to get so much of in the in the 90s and which I remember very fondly the the kind of American beauties of this world Mm. wouldn't now be films they would end up as HBO series and you'd watch them on your on your TV at home we're certainly missing that middle brow kind of solid prestige mid-budget movie making and it's either tiny films which get a tiny release or it's these massive leviathans like like the marvel movies which are dominating everything it's not just in terms of what they're doing to the film industry though i mean they seem to be having such a huge impact given their size across america that it's even become uh, a political problem talk us through what's been happening in florida well yes so disney Previously, if you'd have asked someone 10, 20 years ago what Disney are like as a corporation, they would have been described as conservative with a small C and all about family values, that kind of thing. But they have recently been involved in spats with conservative politicians in the United States, such as Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor who is running for president. Disney, of course, owns quite a lot of Florida. (laughs) Absolutely. And they've been given special tax breaks. They've essentially been able to operate almost as a kind of autonomous region within Florida. 
This morning, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis escalating his fight against the house that Mickey built, pressuring state lawmakers to repeal Disney World's unique self-governing authority, the little-known Reedy Creek Improvement District that dates back to the late 60s. But that's been under threat because they have been opposing limitations. It's known as don't say gay. So basically it's, it's legislation which tries to stop or limit the discussion of homosexuality in schools. Now, Disney originally didn't really put up much of a resistance to this new legislation, but they had a lot of complaints from their own employees, a significant proportion of whom are LGBT, and have actually changed their stance and are actually uh, protesting and, and have been combating this legislation, which is something you can't really imagine Disney having done maybe 20, 30 years ago. So they're becoming a political force in Florida, opposing Ron DeSantis, who could be the next Republican presidential candidate. Absolutely. So this is kind of big stuff and they do have that kind of clout. So come on, you've been to the exhibition, you've looked at their work over the ages, you've looked at the influence they're having, uh, whether in film or in politics. A hundred years on, how is Disney doing? Is it able to reinvent itself? Is it a great company for the future? I think they'll be fine. They, <laughs> they may be going through a bit of a dodgy period at the moment. It's certainly not one of their most successful ones the last five years or so. But if you look at what they've got in their stable and you look at what they've got coming up, they've got a lot of smart, talented people working for them. They know that they've handled possibly Star Wars and Marvel not as well as maybe they could have done. Um, I think they will learn from that. If you look at what they've got coming up, there's lots of stuff that you can see them capturing the public imagination with again. You've got Frozen 3, you've got Toy Story 5, you've got Zootopia 2, still, lots still of sequels. Still big on the franchises. Still big on the franchises, but I think it's a matter of taking time over them, making sure they're really good, not bombarding people with them. There's also brand new stuff, things like Wish, which is a, a new animated fantasy from the people who made Frozen. I think it'll be an interesting time for them over the next five, ten years. But, yeah, they're not finished yet. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Ed Potton, Arts Commissioning Editor at The Times. Our producers today were Ellie MacDonald and Sam Chantarasak, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Hannah Farrell. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it. Do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, tell a friend, bring it up in the pub. You never know who needs to hear the secret history of Disney. Thanks very much for listening. See you tomorrow. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.